Welcome to Nalshare with Dr. Dave, streamed on grokshare.com and broadcasted on iTunes and Google Play. You are listening to episode 46, featuring Tracy Tracy, a therapist and psychologist. The topic is the power of observation. Tracy will share her personal journey and her application of the power of observation while practicing her craft. Tracy is the owner of a practice in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and applies various techniques to help her clients find their awesomeness. Episode 46 is the first of many topics extracted from my book, Elastic Minds, What Are You Thinking?, that will be featured in coming episodes. The human mind is complicated, as are its psychology and philosophies. So, too, are our varied individual circumstances, dreams, and goals, in education, business, artistic expression, or social interactions. Despite the complexities of life, the common and underlying thread is that each experience is just another example of resilience over resistance, agility over adversity. In 2008, I planned to apply my power of observation to help people find their awesomeness. The power of observation gives you data to generate insights about a particular circumstance. For instance, my observation about my attitude at 4.30 a.m. versus 4.30 p.m. is certainly different. At 4.30 a.m., I am not the bright-eyed, bushy-tailed individual as some people, because I'm very nocturnal. At 4.30 p.m., I'm fired up and ready to go. At 11.30 p.m., I am still a high-energy person. As I engage in the practice to help people find their awesomeness, my power of observation must be improved incrementally. The keen attention to details is not only limited to just what I see, but must be expanded to how I hear and the questions that I ask. I plan to exercise my childlike inquisitiveness of asking why. Why is it important to get another episode of my podcast done at this time? How much more productive and satisfied would we feel if more answers to why are known and we paid more attention to the small details? Knowing why is one of the essence of coaching and enables people to find their awesomeness. The power of observation is central to being an effective and successful coach. No matter if you are an agile coach or sports coach or life coach, the need for the power of observation is fundamental to enable people to find their awesomeness. And the first theme is inspiration. And the first question is, what were some of your experiences that inspired you to start this business or work in this field? I guess as a child, I knew since I was probably six that I was going to be a psychologist or a shrink or something that had to do with um, psychology. I remember telling my father that I wanted to I think when I was six, he tells the story, Daddy, when I grow up, I'm going to be a shrink. So there was never any deviation from that dream as I, you know, went through school, went through college. I majored in psychology and went to grad school immediate after. 
applied for PhD programs and got in and then found out I was pregnant after I got my master's degree. So I got I've gotten into PhD programs, but I did a master's PhD track here at UW Milwaukee and then found out I was pregnant after I received my master's degree and in my mind that was enough to derail me from getting my PhD because I didn't want to do both at the same time, be a mom and go to school. So I continued um, in that field. And I guess while I was going through high school, it might have started in grade school that I was one of those helpers in the classroom. So that reinforced, yep, this is what I'm going to do. And in high school, I was a peer mentor and peer mediator and actually ran some groups in my classroom when I was a junior or senior. I can't remember which year it was. I did that real successfully. I was probably the only class I got an A in in high school. And that was, you know, just another reinforcement. And continued in college when I majored in psychology and happened to be mentored by this pretty phenomenal psychologist. She was a little Filipino woman that could see right through my bullshit. And we're in classes and, you know, I'd, I'd kind of mess around and I'd get really serious, but knew the information and she would call me on it. And she saw that I had a gift in the field and she made sure that I succeeded as a, you know, with an undergrad and got into grad school. And as a graduate student, she, uh, we stayed in contact. In my last year of grad school, she said, as soon as you get your degree, you can come back here to university and teach. So that, again, reinforced, yes, I'm in the right field. Here I go. And after that happened, teaching, and then started in private practice after um, I got my master's degree. It was always on the same tra- trajectory, and nothing made me veer off. Everything I did just reinforced it. Excellent. So let's move on to theme, to the next theme called challenges. Okay. And there's two questions. And the first question is, describe significant challenges experienced in your professional journey. if I really had any challenges. I um, got through school okay. Started my private practice. Um, After you get your degree, you have to do postgraduate hours before you can get your license. And you need 3,000 postgrad hours before licensure. And I did that. And there weren't any challenges with that. I was able to find jobs that I could get my hours at. Um, It took me about six years to get my hours because I was doing it part-time because I was a mom at the same time of a little person. So I don't think I really had any challenges along the way that I can 
that I can think of. There were just minor bumps in the road, you know, scheduling glitches and timing, but no major challenges that I, that I'm, no, I don't think I had any. How lucky are you? <laughs> yeah, right? I'm like, yeah, I haven't had any. <laughs> yeah, uh, so what was it like launching your business? Um, it was just the next step. Uh, I remember getting incorporated or getting my license, getting incorporated, finding a space that was all exciting to find a space to work out of. I never partnered with anyone. So I never joined an agency in the beginning. I, I think I, could I join? I may have joined an agency along the path there for maybe nine to 12 months, but it wasn't long. So I've always been a solo practitioner. And it's always been just a focus. So I never thought anything got in the way or I never, yeah, it was, it was just like the next thing. Here we go. Time to get in the office. Okay, got to the office. Hey, now I got to get an insurance panel. So I applied for insurance panels and became a provider and was able to get insurance reimbursement so I could build my practice. I never advertised. It was all like word of mouth. Um, yeah, it's been kind of an easy, easy road. How did those easy experiences you mm -hmm. know, shape your thinking? Oh, that's interesting Cause, because I, I never thought I couldn't do it. If there was a challenge or if there was a roadblock, it never deterred me. So I, I think the positive experiences I had helped to reinforce that I will. And, and, and I can, it, it, it never was a defeatist type of thing. So, and, and I think about shaping thinking and especially in psychology with what you think you manifest and what goes on in your thinking and your brain sometimes manifests or not sometimes pretty much always can manifest itself in your body. And if you're thinking, negative thoughts, you can have some different physiological responses to that. If you're thinking positively, positive anything, you will always get positive results, not necessarily physiological, but universal. I guess it continued to shape that. What you put out, you get. And I would always put out positive. I never thought, oh, shit, this isn't going to work. Well, God, I don't know why I'm doing this. Never, ever thought that. I thought, you know, this is what I want to do. So I did it. And it worked out. So what is that? Positive shaping? Well, you could call it just that, positive shaping. Yeah. 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 I think you just came up with a new term. Huh. <laughs> there you go. Positive <laughs> shaping. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great definition. <laughs> so let's go on to the, the third theme called discovery. Okay. And I'll ask, what techniques or practices did you apply to amplify opportunity or dampen adverse results? What techniques did I apply? 
apply to amplify opportunities. Techniques. I, I, yeah. I have always felt that being a genuine person, no matter what you do, will help you get through what you do. And I think because, actually, I know, because I always, there's this thing in psychology called congruence. So you're, you want to be congruent in what you do, no matter where you are or who you're doing whatever with. So your, your inner thoughts and ideas and actions and feelings, you want that to match exactly what you do. So I've always had a really good sense of being authentic with that concept. So when you're authentic with people, you people can see right through when you're not being authentic. And when you're authentic, sometimes it makes people kind of go, ooh, wow, look at that, because they're not used to it. And I've always thought if I'm authentic, I will get to do whatever I need to do. And when I'm not being authentic, that's when I can run into roadblocks. So that is a serious practice of mine, just being authentic and being congruent with who I am and what I believe. That positive self-talk is another thing. Those affirmations that, you know, I, I call them parent voices. Is that crap you grew up as a kid? And all those voices that told you no, 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 or you can't, or you, you're, or you're not good enough, or whatever they were, to begin to push the erase button and record positive stuff for yourself, and that becomes your intention, and that becomes your thought process, and then you can change all that other stuff. So those are positive affirmations. I eat well. At least I try to at least 90% of the time. And exercise has been a part of my life. Having fun. Enjoying family time. A lot of, lot of the self-care things that are necessary for you to be able to deal with um, some of the stressors in your life. But having actual things in place or if something happens that causes you stress, then there's a technique for you to deal with that. And I, one of the things I really like is retail therapy. So I like to shop. I don't necessarily buy stuff all the time, but just for me to shop kind of just gives me that deep breath. I don't have to buy, and then I'll be able to keep doing what I need to do. Um, as a, a therapist, really paying attention to how I'm being affected by clients or their stories or any of their energetic stuff, practicing those things to buffer that for myself. Um, Early in my practice, I would sit and wrap myself in a ball of protected light so that I could go into any space that I was in and repel other people's stuff. And because sometimes when you're around a person and they're in a funk, you can get in a funk too. But when you're dealing with people and their emotions all day, it's easy to take in their stuff 
instead of letting them have it and giving it back to them. So I was really, really good at protecting myself with this beautiful white light so that their stuff stayed with them. It wasn't my responsibility to take care of that. So that was something I always practice, and I still practice that now. But I know when I was really new in the um, field, I did that. I did that daily. I still do it daily, but I was for sure conscious of it. And I would actually put light around the buildings and the office space that I would do the work in so that this is all protected by, you know, this glorious, wonderful, universal light so that nothing but good could happen in the space. I'm a, I'm a space holder, so it's important to protect that space and make it make it healthy and healing and safe for the people that come in and get the work. And I think because of that, I attracted great opportunities to my practice and great referrals and really good experiences because of that. Is that, is that, did that answer that? That was a lot. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It was really good. Okay. So, that, no, that was a great, that's a great response. Let me ask you the other question. Okay. So what, what creative or innovative ideas allowed you to achieve your organization's or personal goals? I'm very holistic in my approach. And I don't just use talk therapy to help people through their stuff. And I've always been very curious about how do you, how do we um, work through things that, you know, old stuff that is a recurring issue that we've never handled. So I, I did a lot of research readings. Um, I have a lot of interest in, I think the, the term now would be health psychology or psychoneuroimmunology, and that is working with mind, body, and spirit. And if your spiritual self isn't aligned with your physical self and that's not aligned with your psychological self, that's when you have that imbalance. So I began to study other forms of therapy that weren't just thinking and mind work in general, I began to look at body work um, modalities. So healing touch is a modality that I've studied. And that is about pulling in some of the Eastern beliefs into our Western culture. So I do what's called chakra balancing. So there's an energetic chakra system within the body. There's seven chakra centers within the body from the top of the head to the base of the spine. And when any one of those centers is out of alignment, then your body can feel out of balance. So healing touch is something to help balance the chakras and help you release some ways of thinking and doing on a emotional level, on a physical level and on an astral level. So, it's like a psychic level. So you're dealing with all of these three things because what we do know is that every experience you have is stored in every cell of your body. So if you want to truly release those experiences, we have to do a cellular release. So it's not just about talking about it. It's about actually releasing it from your cellular structure. 
So the body work helps with that. The talking helps with the mind. And the spiritual work is either practicing meditation or prayer or having some relationship with some universal spiritual being that you can align yourself with. And it's not religious focused at all. It's so if I'm, I practice Buddhism, I'm going to align myself with those practices and I will have something that I do daily to keep me balanced. And then I'm going to be able to tune into my emotional self and then I'll take care of my physical self. And I've really been able to weave those practices within the therapeutic session. And then I started doing yoga and started a yoga, yoga teacher training program because, again, body work, knowing and being grounded in your body helps you to read what your body is telling you, become more in tuned so that you can work on some of that crap that's coming up. And I think a lot of us are very fear-based and detached from our physical. So to have help and to feel safe getting in your body is really important, which brings in trauma. So I've done a lot of work with trauma and how to work trauma, traumatic experiences on a spiritual, psychological, you know, mind, body, spirit way. And that's important to do. So it depends on the issues that you're working with, with different techniques that I could use to help you through that. My latest um, training is in something called sound healing. Sound healing is another modality that can help you begin to balance who you are if you're out of whack and, 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 and begin to heal some of that broken stuff that we may all have. So I, I love using just complementary approaches, um, traditional approaches. So I know traditional theorists. I know the, the practices, the techniques, and all that good stuff, and I integrate that. And then I also may send my clients out to get acupuncture or go get a massage because that is releasing stuff on a cellular level. So that's the body work, or they can do some of the stuff in the office. I don't do acupuncture, but, you know, some of the meditation and, and guided imagery I do with people. Um, that's all important to incorporate that. And if they're open, the spiritual part, we explore whatever that is for them. I have a, a, a current person who sees me one week and she sees her priest or pastor the other week. So every week she is either him or me or he or I, however that's supposed to be grammatically correct. She sees either one of us. She feels balanced when she does that. So she's taking care of the psychological and the spiritual. And now we're working on the physical. So I try to be very, um, I try to do research in all those different areas. And it's just, and, and diet and exercise is really important as well. Because if a person's not eating, that does not create happy hormones in their body. So just to incorporate all of that into their therapy is important. And you can just see improvement really quickly if someone's not eating and they begin to eat. Or if someone's not exercising, I use this line that 
exercise is your antidepressant. If you feel like you need an antidepressant, maybe getting up to move will help because that's creating the happy chemicals that are synthetically replaced with an antidepressant. So that was good. Very, yeah, very and good. that's all organizational stuff. That's not even my own personal goals. So when I think about personal, if I'm doing the stuff with my clients, I have to practice what I preach. So I have to be the model of what I'm helping them achieve in their own wellness. Not that they have to be like me, but it's their level of wellness and healing that they want to get at. So if I can at least represent a portion of that, that helps me to take care of me so that I'm there for them. Okay, good. That's good. <laughs> really good. So let's <laughs> No, it's really uh-huh. good stuff. Oh so let's go on to resilience. Okay. One of my favorite words to be resilient. So imagine that you are a fingernail away from achieving oh, your dream. Boy. And you ran out of resources. What would you do? Go out and get on a street corner. Are you kidding me? I have no idea. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. You have steady steam, so you could make it up. <laughs> exactly. Oh, if I. I would probably seriously think about getting a small business loan, maybe. Or I'm not a nonprofit organization. From what I hear, there are grants and monies available for for for-profit organizations. You just have to find them. So I'd probably do something like that. Look and see if there's some kind of, um, they're called RFPs. So if there's something that... Um, the city is looking to fund or the state is looking to fund or a university is looking to fund and I may fill that criteria. I may apply for some of those things. I'm a woman of color, so there are grants and monies for small businesses for women of color, women, people of color. So I I may go that route. I'm with insurance panels at this point, um, so I couldn't bleed anything more from insurance companies. I might look for an angel investor to see if they're interested in what I'm pitching, because it's all about the holistic stuff. And and I, 20 years ago, it was called New Age, and not and today it's becoming more of the norm. So there are more folks interested in that. I may go to some corporations. I uh, did employee assistance work on site for seven years. While I'm in private practice, I worked with Cole's Department Store as their on-site employee assistance person to maybe develop some kind of program that a corporate entity would be interested in. Those are the things I would probably try to get resources from or places I try to get resources from besides the street corner. Okay. <laughs> well, <steady> Steve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to go to my husband. Nope, nope, nope. I might go to my mother, but I won't go to my husband. <laughs> <laughs> <Mm-mm>. <laughs> yeah, you're funny. 
so let's go to the final question. All right, final question. So describe a time when you had to demonstrate courage and tenacity in the face of obstacles. I think all throughout having a private practice, I've had to demonstrate courage because it takes courage a solo practitioner in private practice just by the nature of the work because you're dealing with folks' lives and this is this is not work that I would not ever not take seriously and because I value folks their own resiliency and their own ability to their own ability to work out their own stuff because we know the answers for our stuff. We just don't have the confidence sometimes to um, work through it. So I think I think it really takes courage just to do this work every day because you're dealing with people's lives. It's an honor. It really, really, really is. It's an honor to sit with someone and they tell you their deep, darkest, private stuff. And they trust you with it. And it, hell, that keeps me going back. Because not that they're dependent on me, but we're a team and partnership in their healing. So that, that, keeps, it, that keeps it going. Dave, it's just such an honor just to be in people's presence when they say, I've never said this to anybody before. or no one's ever listened to me when I when I, when so I'm getting all choked up when I'm when I have problems and I go wow and it I don't know it's just I don't know that just takes courage to me to do that every day yeah I got nothing else hey, well it's it's all so good you know <laughs> I'm really in awe because I've known you for a while, and, and uh, in terms of what you've done as, as an elastic mind, being creative and being able to uh, bring your own business to practice and bring it to bear, you know, being creative, yeah. creativity and flexible. Um, any final things that you would like to share about your experience? I mean, do you even consider yourself an elastic mind? I don't know if I consider myself an elastic mind. I know other people do. Yeah. But I don't know if I do. Yeah. I I just think this is just how I think. I don't know. Um, in the past six months, well, actually back in October, I added four practitioners to my practice. And the one of the practitioners is an um, adolescent youth psychologist. And I've known him for years. And he, when you're in private practice, you also have to have a supervising psychologist or someone that signs off on your cases and helps you staff your cases because you can't staff by yourself. And he would, he did this for me for a year or two. And we stayed in contact and we met probably 15 years ago. And he moved out to California and came back and I threw out the idea, hey, would you like to be in private practice at some point? And he's like, I don't know, I'll think about it. And so he's always, we've always kept a relationship. And then there's another um, psychologist who is a sports psychologist. 
and he happened to be the psychologist for one of the NBA teams for a while. And I stayed in contact with him and I said, Hey, would you ever want to be in private practices? I'm thinking about expanding the practice and having other practitioners come in. He's like, I don't know. We'll just keep talking. So yeah, yeah, we're talking. And I teach, um, uh, in the grad psych program and two of my students, I've, I've just like, there was just something about these two students. And after they graduated, I was like, hey, you think you would want to go into private practice or do you want to work for someone first before you get your own? And of course, both of them said, I want to be in private practice. I don't want to work for anybody. I go, all right. So about six months ago, I brought all these people together and expanded my private practice. The two students are incredible. The two psychologists are incredible. And when I talk about practicing what I preach, when I'm working with clients, I say, keep your spirit open, keep yourself open to the universe because you don't know what the universe has planned for you. Just be ready. So the universe had this plan for me because I was like, wow, what is going on here? So these folks have joined the practice and from this experience, and we happen to all be of color. And I'm, I was like, was that by design? This is really interesting. There is no practice in Milwaukee where all of the practitioners are of color. And so four of us are African-American and one is Indian. And apparently that's a thing. <laughs> and we're getting this momentum and we're, we're kind of becoming, we're a niche in the world of mental health right now which really makes me excited because as I bring in the holistic stuff with this group of color, we will be able to get the people who may not have had access to this kind of information before. Not that they have to be of color and all that stuff, but we present a different face for folks. And that so as I think about forward moving with the with the practice and, and with what we do, that makes me excited because now I have company. And so as we pull all of our necessarily financial resources, but other resources together, we begin to expand ourselves and really become a part of the community. I guess that's all I want to add. It's really kind of cool to be able to do that now. And because my kids are off at college, I have a time to do it. They're, they're not home anymore. So it's my turn to really build my career because my clinic's not my baby. Instead of my babies being my babies. <laughs> Man, that, that's powerful. That's really, really powerful. It's pretty awesome. Pretty yes, pretty it awesome. is. <laughs> <laughs> that so is excited. some good stuff. Ah! Wow. Wow. Yeah. That is some good stuff. I'd love to hear that. Look for the Null Share with Dr. Day podcast on iTunes and Google Play. The Null Share with Dr. Day podcast is streamed on grokshare.com. If you have any questions for Dr. Dave, reach out on Twitter at Dr. Cornelius Info or at Null Share. This podcast and interview produced by Dr. Dave Cornelius. Copyright 2018, 
and I'll share. I'll share with Dr. Day.